the series we started last week called Good Works. Good Works. And really the idea of this series, um, we introduced it last week, was, was this idea. And we're actually we're going to start um, with the theme verse for the series, which we introduced last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's where this idea from the series is coming from. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The whole idea of this series is this, that your life, your individual life was created by God for a purpose. And we tend to ignore those things and say, well, we're just here by accident, or I'm just putting in time, or I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with my life. Before you were born, before you were made, and some scriptures say before the foundation of the earth was laid, God had your life designated for his purpose, to do the good works which he has called us, that he prepared beforehand, good works that he has called you to do. God has called you first and foremost to a relationship with him, to redemption, to walk with him. He has called you to good works. So what does that look like? That's what we're diving into. What are these good works that we as Christians are supposed to be a part of? What has God called us to do? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. What does being a Christian look like? Now, if you're thinking, maybe you grew up in church and you're thinking, well, Christians that I know kind of fall into one or two categories or maybe somewhere on this spectrum. And the one side is this. Once you become a Christian, then you get the book of rules. And it's like, no longer can you do this. And you can't say that. And you can't go there, and you can't talk to those people, and you can't watch that or do that or think that. Or, and it's all the rules, right? The, the, the don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. That's what, the, what I heard growing up, right? That must have been on the family plaque or something like that. It wasn't, but I remember hearing that. It sounds silly now. Um, but it was that idea of here's all the rules, and if you're going to be a Christian, the good works means all the behaviors that you're supposed to do. And on the other side of that spectrum, all the way to the other extreme, is the Christians that give their life to Jesus, and they say they're a Christian, but it makes no impact on their life whatsoever. Nothing changes. And so I was thinking, well, how do we kind of find the balance on that, that spectrum? And I realized, well, that's kind of the, a flawed spectrum. That's not really what we're shooting for. Like, how, how, uh, how many rules can we do and still be a Christian? How, how far to the world can we get and still be a Christian? That whole thing is flawed, and that's what I want to talk about today. And we start with this. Faith in Jesus Christ should impact your life. Your faith in Jesus should make a difference in your life. That's what it does. People should notice. Those close to you should notice. There should be something different. But it's not just following the rules. It's not legalism, but it's also not laziness. It's not following the rules, and it's not, well, it has no impact. So how do we do this? There's a churchy word that I heard growing up in Sunday school and in Bible college, it was sanctification. It's a very churchy word. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy, becoming pure, becoming sanctified, seeing the character of Christ more evident in your life, seeing your faith in Jesus make an impact, looking more like Jesus. Now, we have a lot of examples of Christians in the world that are all about the rules. We have a lot of examples of Christians in the world that it makes no difference in their life. We have a lot of examples, unfortunately, of Christians in the world that look nothing like Jesus. And that should be kind of our initial barometer, right? The character of Christ should become more evident. This is the good work that we are called to. So this is just kind of the introductory thought for the day of, what does this look like? How do we act as Christians? How, do we, how does this faith in our life, what is this good work that God has called us to do? 
We read about the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament, and the fruit of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is active in your life, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, and I might have missed one, but I think that might be it. Um, all things that we need in our world today, all things that we should see more and more evident as we follow Jesus. Uh, we should see the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit active in us. We should see more times in our life that we are turning to God, that we are turning from sin, all of these things. And so as we start today, I wanted to read these verses out of the book of 1 John. 1 John is not the gospel of John, but it's uh, way in the back of the Bible there, right before you get to Revelation, is 1 John. And uh, starting in verse, we're going to be in 1 John 1 and a little bit in, in chapter 2 today. I'm reading out of the ESV translation, which is new to me. I got a new Bible to start the year, and I'm it's, the ner it's like nerdy pastor moment. I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm excited to take this thing out for a spin today. So that's what we're doing, the ESV translation. If you're new to the Bible, there's lots of different translations. Some of them are very modern English. Some of the, you know, the old King James is old English and a little bit harder to understand. So if you have a Bible, make sure you have a Bible that you can read and understand what it's saying. And we, we, I'm happy to recommend some to you. All right, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. And this really kind of sets up this idea of what it is to walk and live as Christians. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I love how that is all packaged together with this initial thought as he is light and we walk in the light. As he is in the light. When you think about good works that you've been called to do, how do we walk out our faith in Jesus Christ? We walk in the light as he is in the light. We walk with God in the light. We pursue the things of God. We don't accept sin. We obey the commands of Jesus. We obey the guidance of God's word. We love others. And it's this lifetime of learning and walking with God, learning how to be obedient to the scriptures, learning to be uh, more like Jesus, learning to surrender and obey and just serve God faithfully. It's a lifetime journey. I'm going to continue on in 1 John chapter 2, the next chapter, verse 1 through 6. It says this. My little children, now John is talking to um, people that he's pastoring, so not like these would be spiritual children. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, another churchy word. He is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The world's going to know if we've come to know God by if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, I love those verses. 
summarizing, God is light. We should walk in the light. We should learn to obey his commandments. If we claim to love God and we don't obey his commandments, we are liars. If we claim to be without sin, we are making God out to be a liar. And I love that last verse. Whoever abides in him will see it by we should walk in the same way in which he walked. We should be more like Jesus. All this to say our faith should impact us. It's not just a list of rules, but it's not laziness. There should be a pursuit of righteousness and godliness that is evident in our life. And I love those verses. Walk in the same way that Jesus did. But I also love that John, when he wrote this, he included in there He's saying, do all these things, pursue righteousness. And then he said in chapter 2, verse 1, which we just read, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. If anyone does sin, so I love that he's writing this. I'm encouraging you as people to walk with God and not sin, to pursue righteousness. But if you do sin, and really John should have written it, and when you do sin, because we're all going to fall short, that's the message of the gospel. We never get righteousness perfect. But when you sin, you have an advocate with Jesus Christ. An advocate who is at the right hand of God. So an advocate, we think like either a social worker or like in a a courtroom. Imagine you're in a courtroom and a charge has been brought against you and then you have an advocate before the judge saying, I know them, this and this, and this is at work and the price has been paid. This is what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God for you. When you do sin, there is mercy and forgiveness. And more than just mercy and forgiveness, the Bible says that when God looks at you, God the Father, holy God, looks at you, he sees your sins have been forgiven. And not only that, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So when he looks at you, he sees righteous, as if you've never sinned. That's amazing. That should stop us in our tracks right there. The goal of life is to pursue righteousness, to to put away the patterns of sin, and when we fall short... Jesus has already paid the price for that. That's good news, right? That is a high calling that we are called to as people of God. When you sin, don't pretend you're without sin, but rather bring it to the light. Confess it and move forward. Jesus has already paid for it. There's no room for shame and guilt. Confess it and move forward. Part of being in the light as God is in the light is not trying to hide anything from God. And, you know, hot tip, God already knows what's going on in your life. There's no reason to try to hide it from him. We bring it to light and we confess it. And then in a church like this, a family of believers, this is why we're a family, is that we can confess it to one another. We have people who love us and support us who are going to spur one another on to grow in our faith. So one thing that we must avoid in the church world is this idea of, well, I got to pretend everything's perfect. Because if I show my flaws and the areas that I'm struggling in, all the people at church are going to judge me because they're obviously all perfect, right? And we, you know, we laugh at that idea because we all know that we're not perfect. I want us to avoid that idea thinking you have to have everything all cleaned up before you can be involved in a church. What this is is a family of people doing what John has instructed us, walking in the light, encouraging one another to pursue righteousness, and helping each other when we fall short. So I want you to feel free to confess your sins to God. Confess to one another saying, I'm struggling with this. And we've got a group of people, a family of people that are going to rally around you and say, let's move forward together. This is what the church can and should look like. So it should never lead to 
this pursuit of righteousness should never lead to a few things. It should never lead to any sort of shame and guilt. So when we're pursuing godliness, trying to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, as he is in the light, we're going to fall short. We should never have shame and guilt heaped on us. When you're feeling shame and guilt, you know that is a lie from the enemy because Jesus has paid for it. Jesus has paid for that sin. And so we don't ignore it, but we don't have shame and guilt. We confess it and we move forward. It should never lead to arrogance and superiority when we're looking at other people who are falling short saying, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they call themselves a Christian. I can't believe it. Because again, we've lost sight that we are recipients of much needed mercy as well. And it should never lead us to complacency and acceptance of sin. Just like, ah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Jesus is going to forgive me anyways. And it's just who I am, right? All of these things should be like warning lights in your life. If you're seeing shame and guilt, that should be a warning light that you need to lean into the mercy of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. If you are seeing arrogance or superiority, this kind of moral superiority over other people, that's a warning sign. Lean into the mercy of Jesus Christ because you did not deserve it. It was given to you by Jesus Christ. If you're seeing that your faith is kind of complacent, maybe a warning sign in your life is that you've been a Christian for a year or five years or 20 years, and you look back and you're like, it really hasn't changed. My life really hasn't changed much. I'm kind of the same as I was last year or 10 years ago. That should be a warning sign that it is time to grow, to step into the light, to pursue the righteousness of God, to pursue the good works that he has for you. Does that make sense? So if you're seeing any of those warning signs, I want you to refocus today and say, okay, that's a sign I need to walk in the light, receive mercy, and recognize that God has called me to good works. Amen? Does that make sense? It should inspire us to pursue righteousness. It's the good works that we get to be a part of. It's the good work that we are called to, and we're not going to get it perfect. And that's okay because we've already received it, right? We're not going to get righteousness perfect, but we've already received it, which is kind of like this weird mind-melding inception kind of thing, right? Like, how does that work? But it's the what Jesus has done. We pursue righteousness, and we fall short, and that's okay because we've received it. And that spurs us on to pursue righteousness, and we'll fall short, and we've already received it. You see how that works? That's amazing. We don't dwell on sin, and we don't accept sin. We don't pretend we don't sin, but we confess it, and we continue to grow by walking in the light. So, real specifically, in the few minutes we have left, I just want to talk about how we, as children of God, children of the light, how does this look in a world that is not always filled with light? There's darkness in the world. There is people of darkness in the world. There are people who are lost. There are There's a spiritual enemy. There is darkness in our world. And how do we, as children of light, trying to pursue righteousness, um, live in this world? And what I've seen is some people allow a love for the world to hinder their spiritual growth. Well, I'm trying to be a Christian, but really it's just I'm stuck in the patterns of this world. We've seen that. Some people develop a hate for the world, like an opposition to anything of the world, like that's evil, that's bad, I am like shunning that, I want nothing to do with that. And some people choose to, you know, if you're that, if you're that crew, that's kind of where the, the root of like the judgmental Christian comes from, right? And some people just choose to hide from the world, existing in kind of a Christian little bubble, where they're saying, well, I'm, I know I'm called to righteousness, and I know that's where all the sin is, so I'm going to be as far away as I can. And so you're like, anything into the world, you're, you're trying to do just the Christian things, so you're trying to listen only to Christian music, and only talk to Christian people and only eat at Chick-fil-A 
and only shop at Hobby Lobby because those are the Christian stores. I don't know how stores become Christian stores, but they clearly have. And so, and then you only watch shows with Kirk Cameron and other Christian people, right? It's like Christian everything. It's this Christian subculture and trying to avoid the world. So we've seen examples of that. We know people who have done these things. Either they are impacted by the world and their faith is not making any difference. They have a hostility towards the world and they're angry and judgmental. Or they're just trying to hide from the world. None of those are good options. So how do we do this? What do we do with this world? I was reading through, I was trying to do a little study, a word study, on all the times this, uh, in the New Testament where the world is talked about, where Jesus talks about the world, where God talks about the world, where the writers of Scripture are referring to the world. And I was hoping for a clear answer of what worldliness is, what we're, how we're supposed to interact with the world. It wasn't super clear. And let me give you an example of that, okay? If you're hoping that pastor has all the answers today, it's going to be disappointing. But I read through all these examples, and I'm going to read for you a few examples, and you can see how there's this message. You're like, well, how are we supposed to uh, take the world? What are we supposed to do with this idea of darkness in the world? And so here's some examples. 1 John 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Okay, so Father good, world bad. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so that's setting up this idea of, okay, world bad, not godly. We should not be friends with the world. But then, I'm like, well, what about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world. And then Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's talking to us. and says this, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So I was reading that, and I'm like, well, when is the world good, and when's the world bad? And so I was thinking, well, there's got to be some cool, like, spiritual Greek language kind of thing that, that makes this distinction. So I, this, no joke, I did a little word study, and I'm like, okay, let's look at all the times that world is referred to in a bad way. What's the Greek word? Because the original language of the scripture was either Hebrew or Greek. So I looked it up, and all those times in 1 John and Romans and James where it's talking about don't be involved in the world, don't have anything to do with the world, the Greek word for that is cosmos with a K, where we get our word cosmos with a C. It's the, right, it's, I don't know why we changed it, but we did. We've got to forge our own path. Um, it's, it's referred to very literally as what is created, the natural world. That's this Greek word, cosmos. And this is what that word is for world in all those bad times. So then I looked at all the times that it's, the world is referred to as God loved the world and go into the world. And you know what the Greek word there is? Cosmos. It's the same word. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help clear it up at all, right? I was totally, like, giving you the bait and switch, wasn't I? You're like, this is going to be so good. It wasn't. <laughs> it didn't help at all. That's how I felt. And so I was like, well, how do we, as Christians interact with the world. Is the world bad and we should have nothing to do with it? Friendship with the world is an enemy of God, and yet we're supposed to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So here's what I've just come up with, is that somehow the Bible teaches us 
that we can avoid worldliness and yet love the world and go into the world. And we do this by what John said in, in 1 John, by walking in the light as he is in the light, by pursuing righteousness. If we are focused on the light of God in us, then our surroundings are not going to pull us away from that, right? We can, so people who walk with God in the light are not impacted by the world, but rather they are impacting the world. Does that make sense? We have the light of God and we are not overcome by darkness, but rather we can light the darkness. So the Bible is clear. Avoid worldliness. Avoid the patterns of the world. Pursue the light of God and his righteousness. But yet we don't withdraw from the world. We love the world and go into it with the light of God in us, right? And so an excellent gauge for that is that idea what I just said is, Am I being impacted by the world or am I impacting the world? Am I being affected by my environment? Is my environment, is this environment or this relationship or this habit or whatever it is, is it pulling me away from God or am I bringing the light of God into this environment? That's a great gauge for you to have as you walk through this dark world. Is this affecting me and pulling me away from godliness or am I impacting it with the light of God? That's a very key difference. We, Christy and I had several discussions about this with kids. When, we, when our kids were younger, there's always, as parents with kids, you're like, well, who should they hang out with? Are they bad influences? Or is this good for them? Or should they be watching this? And all these, you know, as parents, that's one of our jobs as parents is to guide our kids in the ways of righteousness. And so that was a hard thing at times because you want them to, you don't want to teach them just stay away from anything bad, but you also want to teach them about godliness and that there are influences that are going to pull them away from God. It's a, it's a very important role that we have as parents. And I remember once we were talking to a friend of ours about this very thing. And she had kids who were older than our kids. And she said, well, in our house, it was always this. We always told our kids this. You can hang out with whoever you want as long as you can stand up to them. And I thought, that's so interesting. Like, you can hang out with whoever you want as long as when it comes down to, oh, now this, is tr- now this is veering away from godliness. If you have the ability to stand up to them and say, nope, I'm not a part of that. Nope, I don't think that's right. Then that, then that is going to be you bringing light. But if it's going to pull you away from God, if you can't stand up to them, if it's going to pull you away from godliness, then that's not an environment to be in. And that goes for all of us. Certainly there's wisdom and there's certain environments or certain things that we would say, yeah, that's not godliness. We should not be a part of that. But otherwise, that gauge can be there. Is this pulling me away from God? Or can I infect it with the light of Jesus? Can I impact it? Can I bring the light of God into this situation? And this really is the friction that we're going to feel all the time as followers of Jesus in our world. Right? We're going to feel that all the time. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says this. Jesus again talking to his disciples. You are the light of the world. This is him talking to us again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. I love that it phrased it like that for this series. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the good work that you have been called to is you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Where you go is going to be um, showing the world who God is because you're a follower of Jesus. 
You are bringing his light into the world around you. And here's what we get to do, and this is what's amazing to me, is your light is going to impact the world around you so that other people who are far from God are going to see your life. And it says they're going to glorify the Father who is in heaven. In other words, they're going to see your life and they're going to say, I want more to do with God. There's something about that person. There's something about that person. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You can be in school and you can have the light of God in you where they're going to say there's something different about them. I want to know more about God because of your life. That is amazing. That's amazing. That is a high calling and it's humbling and sobering and we can, you know, see that as the high calling, the good work that we are invited to. This is what I want Homestead Church to do. This is what I want to be the marking factor of all the things we do as a church. I want it to be they are the light. They're bringing the light into the darkness. They're, they're impacting the world with the light of Jesus Christ. Light the dark. That's what we should do. Light the dark. What's the good work that we have been called to? One of the things is light the dark. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Have the righteousness of God change you and light the darkness that's around us. This is what we're called to. An example of this, um, we got an email from a, a family in the church um, a while back, and it was about our Christmas carnival that we did. So before Christmas, early on in December, we made a big Christmas open house here at the building. and We really wanted it to be an event where the community could come. come uh, you know, We recognize that there's some people that aren't going to come to church on a Sunday morning, but they might come to church and meet some people if, it's, if Santa's here, right? So we, we had Santa. We had all this whole room was filled with like carnival games, and Santa was here and decorated, and there was gifts for the kids. It was super fun with the idea of we want people in the community to come and just have a, have a great event. And that's what happened, and it was, a, it was a huge success. And then we got this email from a family in our church a few days after that. And I loved this. And I remember when Christy read it to me, I was like, I want to keep that because that, that alone says this is why we do what we do. Okay? So this is what the email said. This is from a family in our church, and she said this. Thank you for hosting the Christmas event. A few weeks ago, we invited our neighbors who are unbelievers, and they accepted our invitation. And today they had told me that it had been decades since they had set foot inside of a church, and neither of their kids had ever been in a church before. And here's the part I loved, and this might make me a bad pastor, but this was my favorite part. Our neighbors really have no concept of anything church-related. And while having a great time, they kept swearing. I just thought that was great. So, you know, they're up here having fun with the Christmas open house and just swearing like sailors, I guess. And, and while they were having a great time, they kept swearing. And I was like, oh, Lord, please let everyone around us have grace. Have you ever been like, oh, please let nobody say anything? And she said, and nobody batted an eyelash. And I love that. And it says this. This is how she wrapped up her email. We've been praying hard that they would sense the love of Jesus today. And within minutes, she was telling me how warm and inviting the place felt. And she asked about coming back with us to a service soon. So that is like number one success for me. I loved it. Now, I love that it wasn't a, this wasn't a church service, but yet this, the, the, the culture of our church and just the welcoming caused her to be like, oh, that was great. I would come back to a service. I haven't been in church in decades. Their church has never been in a church. They're like, yeah, we'd come to that. That was great. But here's what I love. 
this whole thing would have been different if while they were in here swearing up a storm, if somebody in the church was like, hey, take that language outside. You know, you don't talk like that here. We're Christians here. This is a church. We don't accept that. That didn't happen, and I'm so glad, right? Their response would have been so different if them just being themselves caused the Christians to get all uppity about, hey, we don't do that here, right? Their response would have been, oh, that's why I haven't been at church in decades, right? So I love that the response was, yeah, we welcome you in. I love that. Now, I'm not pro-fanity. I'm not, <laughs> right? But we just recognize we're the light of the world, and we are in a dark world, and we're going to impact the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. We don't need to be scared of it or hide from it or condemn it. We illuminate it, and that's what we get called to do. And that's why that... So if you were a part of the Christmas carnival that day, thank you for just being great examples of what the church can be, right? It just go, you just never know how far that's going to go. And this is the potential in walking with God, walking in the light, the good works that we have been called to. This is the potential there. And I love that it takes on so many different forms. It's missions trips to Mexico. It's it's sharing your faith in school and at work. It's, it's, being, it's just being kind and loving. It's being examples of joy and good in the world as followers of Jesus, right? It's walking in the light. It's growing in your faith. And when we do that, we're going to find our purpose in life. You're not, it's just not an accident. You're, you're not just putting in time. Young and old, you have a purpose that God has designed for you to find that purpose, to bring light to the world. You're going to find joy and peace. You're going to see that your life matters. You're going to become so rooted in Christ that your, your, your identity is going to be as a child of God and anything else that the world tries to throw at you, defining who you are and how you fall short, you're going to be impervious to that because you're like, the world does not define me. I'm defined by son or daughter of God. This is what we're going to find as we walk in the light as he is in the light, rooted in Christ, making a difference. And then you're going to be able to see fruit in your life. And people around you are going to be like, wow, you're different. You're more patient. You're happier. You're more joyful. You're, you know, there's something about you. And then you're going to see that your life is making a difference. You're going to see that your life impacts the darkness and illuminates the darkness. Then you're going to see people come to faith because of the light, that, because of the light that's in you. You're going to see your faith change people's eternities and generations. That's amazing. This is what we get called to. This is an opportunity to live a fulfilling, impacting life. It's the good work that we're called to. Amen? Amen. Let's close.